Welcome to our new episode of Our Brooklyn Bites. I'm Stephanie. I'm Leon. And we'd like to introduce our special guest from the Digital Press podcast, Frankie. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Unlike the Our Brooklyn Bites podcast, the Digital Press podcast has three listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend go listen to those Digital Press guys. Absolutely. And, um... You know, Frankie is actually a man who wears many hats, but two years ago, he had a uh, chicken mask for Halloween on his head. (laughs) By by hats, you mean masks. I wear many masks. That's right. So as such, he was imminently qualified, perhaps even more so than us, to uh, go into the depths of the game we're here to talk about today. Um, with the impending release of Hotline Miami 2 on March 10th, we figured it was a good time to recap the first game, since myself and Stephanie had both played it recently for the first time, um, and, you know, we thought we might as well dig into the game, and, you know, obviously, be forewarned, this is a total spoiler cast. Yeah, the statute of limitations on spoilers for Hotline Miami, I believe, are up at this point, because not only has the game been out for a few years, but it's been either free on services like Plus or on sale for like a quarter on Steam so many times that you've missed your chance if if you haven't played it by now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the game uh, came out on October 23rd in 2012, so I think two years plus. Yeah. Good Time enough. to talk about the ending. <laughs> right. Right. So this game, um, you know, was developed by Denaton Games. This is a team composed of two people in Sweden, uh, published by Devolver Digital. And it was released on Windows, uh, Mac OS X, Linux, and the PlayStation family of systems, PS3, PS4, and PS Vita. I'm really liking uh, Devolver Digital's choice of games to publish. They're they're definitely carving out a niche for themselves in the in the kind of uh, edgy indie market. Mm-hmm. You know, they're Luftrausers. Yeah, yeah. Right. Another I was going to say one that right. they they recently that's supposed to be good, right? Yeah, it's on my list of it. That one, not to diverge from the Hotline Miami discussion, but that one reminds me a lot of a classic uh, mm-hmm. that I really enjoy, Time Pilot. It yeah. has uh, kind of rotational access on the on the airplane that you fly, and um, I've only played the web version of that. Yeah, there's a web version of yeah, Buffer? really. Yeah, yeah. There's a, like a huh. it's like kind online of browser Flappy Bird esque in its way, mm-hmm. um, but it's you know takes a second to learn and a lifetime to master type of mechanic. Yeah, it's um, a fun little shooter. You don't last long, but or at least I don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I guess we might as well dig into, um, you know, Hotline Miami proper. Uh, you sort of dive into the game without much prelude. Um, you start off with, you know, just a man who's there to tell you, you know, how to kill people. Tells you that in no uncertain terms. Um, the basic tutorial is just kind of just gives you the, the mechanics of, of the controls and the gameplay. Um... You get various tips, right? You get, you know, guns are loud and will alert enemies and use melee when possible. And, uh, you know, also don't be afraid to die. (laughs) Yeah, for people who are unfamiliar with the game itself, aesthetically, I would compare it... When I first saw it, it resonated with me. Um, There's a Sega coin-op 
game called Crackdown mm. that has nothing to do with the Xbox 360 game Crackdown. Uh, that was what the aesthetics of Hotline Miami reminded me most of. It has a you know pixel art right. look to it. It's it's uh, very intentionally uh, 16-bit styled. And it's it's top down where you see the shoulders and the head mm-hmm. of your character and you you know the other enemies on the screen and you're walking through rooms and opening doors. So that yeah. So in a lot of ways, the, it's kind yeah. of the same, a similar perspective that you would get from you know like Gauntlet or maybe, Gauntlet style game or yeah. you know Smash TV even you know a little bit, um, including the angle on violence, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's ultra violent. I mean, it's, uh-huh. you know, blood splatter uh, across the screen type violence. It's, you know, colorful, pixelated blood, but at the same time, you're curb stomping your enemies to finish them off uh, and beating them repeatedly with, with lead pipes and uh-huh. decapitating what, them with samurai swords. That's what attracted Stephanie to play the game, right? That's what that's, That was your motivation? Uh, well, that was definitely a, a draw to it, but part of it was actually, I mean, it, from the moment I saw the pictures of it, it looked appealing, it sounded appealing. Mm-hmm. Frankie recommended it to me for a while now. He's been telling me how good it was, and of course you did the Halloween costume that time, so that's all been brewing for a long time, and then uh, I finally picked it up in January, and that's when I played through it. But yeah, I mean, I like gory games. I like blood and violence. But it's so it's very pixelized. So it's not. I, I feel like it's almost less gory than like a Mortal Kombat game, because you really can't see what's going on. It just looks like blotches so, of red. It's everywhere. just a lot of red pixels. I think there's a juxtaposition of <clears throat> how much it looks like a 16-bit game, but how shockingly violent the actions are. You know, the characters look like they're in a Super Nintendo game, but yet. Mm-hmm. You know, you're hitting somebody over the head with a meat cleaver, and the blood spray like covers the wall in a more realistic fashion than you've probably seen in a 16-bit game. <laughs> yeah, so actually, and a lot of the weapons even have like custom animations to yeah. to match yeah. the, the style of killing, which is uh, kind of uh, amusing in its own way. You almost want to try out the different weapons just to see what effect they have. Yeah, it's got a lot of weapons. You're unlocking weapons constantly throughout the course of the game based on. You know your style points. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, that's that's a one really interesting thing about the play mechanics is that it it encourages you to replay levels over and over again by not only giving you a score but also giving you style points mm-hmm. a, as to how you've utilized your weapons and how you've attacked your enemies and how you've maneuvered through these incredibly punishing levels. Uh, <laughs> And then it gives you a, a letter grade on top of that. So it's like bombarding you with... If you're an OCD completist type gamer that grew up on arcades where you're always trying to best a high score, or even in the home console era of games, let's say 16 or 32-bit era games that would you know, give you a letter grade mm-hmm. for how well you've done, this game hits you with all of that all at once. So... If that's appealing to you, that's definitely something you're going to want to check out about Hotline Miami. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm the type that when I play through a game, uh, I want to get just get through it as fast as I can. I go for like speed run kind of thing. And uh, even your first time, even my first time through, yeah. So mm-hmm. I just my when I first played this game, I just wanted to get through it as quick as possible. Then going back and reading about it, trying to figure out what the hell this game is about. <laughs> I, um, that's when I started learning, well, there's, like, multiple endings, and there's, like, letters you can find, and 
you know, how do you collect all the masks? Like in the beginning, I thought the masks were just obtained per level, like one one per level automatically. Mm-hmm. But there's so much more to this game. Um, I don't even think I ever got all the weapons too. So. Yeah, I mean, I've played through the game a few times. I don't think I've unlocked everything. I think there's some things that are. You know, you have to be a real glutton for punishment to unlock some of the things, or yeah. Well, some of the some of the masks are for total points, yeah. like earned in the game. So it's you know going to reward you for repeated playthroughs, even yeah. when you've beaten it several times already. But you waited till you finished the game to start asking what the hell it was all about. Well, I figured <laughs> it would come to a conclusion at some point. You thought wrong. I, I was very wrong. <laughs> Well, I mean, to that end, I guess, you know, you, you start in a room with three masked strangers who tell you that you've done terrible things and that you don't remember who you are, but you've met them before. And from there, you're just, you know, you, you, you're in your apartment and you get a call on your answering machine giving you your first mission. And, you know, I, I mean, what? It, I mean, at that point, what do you make of it? I mean, is there even, an, you know, to me, at that point, I just figured, well, it's just... You know, a, a pretense for wanting to go out and just you know bash like enemies on the head. I mean, do you really need more motivation than that? Yeah, I would. I I would say that the earliest um, indications of what you're supposed to do in the game are the the great metaphor of video games. You mm-hmm. know, because video games, right? right? Right. So you're presented with this. Your task to go out and go to this... They give you a street address. You have to go there and you have to kill people. Be just because. <laughs> and you take the task of, like, you know... Hey, no problem. I'll, I'll go do it. You don't and question anything. And it's all doublespeak, too, right? Yeah. It's all like, you know, our receptionist went home sick and we have some VIPs staying at the hotel, so please go and show them a great time. <laughs> you know, and that's like mm-hmm. kind of an allusion to... See, when I first started playing it and I would read like the phone calls, I'm thinking I'm taking it as face value. Like, okay, <laughs> like one of them was like, "There's kids in an orphanage home" or something like that, and I'm thinking, "All right, I'm going there to save these kids." Yeah, we we need a babysitter, and, and those kids need disciplining. So. Yeah, so I'm like, "All right, I'm gonna probably <laughs> rough up some kids," and, right. and then you go there, and that's like not what. And instead, all. it's likely underage girls that are being prostituted by Russian mafia in <laughs> in like a drug like a crack house. That's what. You know the the kids that need a babysitter mm. are it's uh, referring to. Yeah, I mean, I just assumed I was a hitman of some kind. I just figured, well, this is you know, I work for some shady organization, and I didn't really question it much beyond that. I figured that's that was just my role in the game. Um, and you know, and even right from the beginning, though, you're given that choice of different masks, and you're asked, you know, like you know, you, you get that initial choice of three masks, I think. Um, and the I didn't... Squirtle, the Bulbasaur, <laughs> and the uh, Charmander. That's uh, yeah, that's a different game, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get it. You didn't. You guys didn't get the message on your phone from Professor Oak, yeah. <laughs> asking you to go to the trainer's gym. That must have been on the take expansion. Take care pack. of the yeah. take care of the Pokeballs with finger quotes. He played the Wii U version. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know what those, what those masks even meant or what they were for. Um, I just, you know, wore the default one initially, mm-hmm. and then each mission would sort of unlock another one. Almost, it was almost a regular at the end. Right. Um, and I just wore the next one just because I figured, well, that's that's the next in the chain of rewards, so I might as well use it. Right. Well, once you start unlocking the masks and you go to the selection screen, it, each mask will have a little 
quote about what it does. You know, mm-hmm. it won't be one hundred percent clear, but it'll you know the tiger mask will give you fists of fury. You know, and then you come to learn if you try the tiger mask on that when you don't have a weapon in your hand and you punch somebody, their head explodes. <laughs> oh, is that what happens? I don't you think you I know, you that. have. I'm not certain if that's the effect yeah, no, of the tiger it's... mask, but it's you know one of the masks will have mm-hmm. that. Each mask imbues you with a special power. Mm-hmm. The tiger mask is... named Tony, of course. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> In honor of Mike Rosamelia. <laughs> A.K.A. Tony the Tiger from the digital press forums. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, eventually, I think I got to a mask that was. Oh, you got the masks right there. Yeah, I think uh, I think the one that let me see further was was the one I kind of gravitated towards for the most part. Um, yeah, did you? Here's draft. a question for you guys: Did you main like one mask for a majority of the game, or did you try different masks as you? Encountered a level that was, let's say, frustrating. Like, I oh, God, I can't get through this one level mm. because the, this is a game where you're going to hit a level, and it's just going to punish you. Like, you may have gotten through the previous level without any major difficulty, but you're going to hit maybe the fourth or fifth yeah. level, and things are the, the volume is going to get turned up, and you're going to get killed over and over and over again. Did you say, let me try a different mask? Or, or were I, you just, I did. Yeah, yeah, at least at least one time, I would say that I. I kept dying over and over, and I was like, I need ammo or something like that. Mm-hmm. I need to start with staged ammo, and I use right. a different mask. Yeah, the one I think that I that I went to was um, introduced fairly early on. I think it was maybe the fourth mission where you're... It's kind of like a dance club. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the mission where dogs are introduced in the game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, yes. And there was a mask for the dog. To The dogs don't bother you, right? Yeah, right. Uh-huh. So there's, a there's a, I guess, a dog-like mask, which yep. allows you to not be attacked by dogs, which... That's a good one, yeah. Definitely yeah, helps. I, I use that for that stage. Mm-hmm. And about the, the dance club stage, that's... That's the one track on the soundtrack that I'll I'll put on loop and I'll just like listen to over and over. Again. <laughs> That's my favorite song on the Hotline Miami soundtrack, which is a fantastic soundtrack. That that's one of the first things as soon as I put that game mm-hmm. on was the music. Yeah. I was like, this music's surprisingly really good. I was not expecting that. Yeah. Even some of the weird stuff, like when you're in the your house, it's just that kind of like weird kind of like droney sounds and stuff. It's, it's like a fantastic. it's like a multi track tape recording that they purposely warped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that they like that they stretch very, the tape. Um, yeah, I mean that track is very purposely like lo fi, like yeah. a, almost yeah. a little surf punky in its delivery. Um, and that's an interesting aspect of the game too, is the the variety in the soundtrack. I mean it's mostly like kind of a synth wave soundtrack mm-hmm. which you can make you know, draw comparisons to, you know, maybe sci fi action movies of the eighties. You know, it's like, oh, sure. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I mean, obviously the game is set in the 80s. It's set in 1989. Yep. Um, there's various trappings of the 80s around the game. Your character, I believe, has a Super Nintendo in his apartment. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> you notice little things. Yeah. Um, he drives what looks like a DeLorean. Yep. Um, he makes frequent visits to a VHS rental shop. Yeah, yep. that's right. Um, so there's definitely, like, hooks into into the, the era. Um, and even even with some of the filmmakers of the era, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sure. You've even you know drawn comparisons to David Lynch, or to you know David Cronenberg. All the um, good, all the great Davids <laughs> of, of crazy filmmaking, of insane yeah. cinema. Um, and another interesting element uh, aesthetically of the game is that it appears to have a 
VHS grain filter mm. over most of it. Um, I, I'm not certain if it's like on every single part of the game, but in the opening menus, uh, in, in your you know when you're walking around your your apartment, it has that. Um, and that's you know something that I, I really like about this generation is that the processing power is in a place both on PCs and on consoles where they can do things like that where that doesn't chew up a lot of system resources yep. mm-hmm. and they can have like a crazy filter over a game that makes it you know you have a, you have the base layer of the 16-bit aesthetic and then you put something on top of that like a grainy film filter and it makes it you know it adds it adds an, an interesting unsettling layer to it almost yeah, it's uh, it's actually kind of cool the little touches they have around, you know, the, the various um, setting and graphics. I mean, your apartment, even your apartment where you start each mission, is kind of telling a story as yep. you're playing through the game. Yeah, your character is a silent protagonist. Like you rarely, well, mostly silent protagonist. You rarely have anything to say, and no. every everything you're consuming about the narrative of the story is done through people speaking to you. Did you guys have any theories on, you know, before you got to the ending that you reached in the game? I know, Stephanie, you said you didn't complete the game in its entirety with all of the extra levels and and extra and complete ending. Um, but as you were playing through, did you theorize anything about what was going on, like, outside of the realm of what the game told you? Uh, no, I couldn't figure it out. It was very bizarre to me. Because there's one... I mean, it, there's that one strange scene where you... you And it, it cuts in between some of the levels. You walk into a room, and there's three characters with the masks on. Right. Like the chicken mask, and the, or the rooster mask, and the two others. And they start talking to you, and then it just fades out of that scene. And you, I had, like... You're back cut, in the game. Yeah, so. yeah, like, what does this have to do with anything? And it, right, it felt right. like... That, that to me, it hadn't, it never got resolved. <laughs> What about you, Leon? Um, well, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I think I started off thinking, well, all right, I'm just doing, I'm just doing jobs for some unknown boss mm-hmm. somewhere. There's going to be a reveal at some point. Or there's going to be some kind of payoff. Yeah. Um, and you know, there is a point in the game where obviously things take a turn, where sort of, you know, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how you want to put it. Basically, things get weird. I, I felt that in the beginning. He was the guy doing jobs for somebody, for like a you know mob boss or something. But then as the game went on, I felt like, well, maybe this guy is like actually insane, and we're looking like we're seeing this weird warped perception of what he sees in his life. And we go into these rooms where like there's bodies everywhere, like, and maybe this is like his weird world that we're looking through. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Those those three figures do at some point ask you like you know who who's leaving messages on your machine, and I'm thinking, well, is not you guys? Yeah. I, don't I work for you in some capacity? You know, or you know, but then they but then they lead on to other like more vague things like you know um, why are we having this conversation, and you know where are you right now? Challenging you to even you know ask yourself, that. yeah. To me, when I when it started to hit those beats in the story, I was right with you in the beginning. I was like, okay, I'm a hitman. This is obvious. It's video games because video games, because mm-hmm. I have to go out and I have to kill people. And then when they, the game started asking me questions and made me question, why am I doing these things or why am I here? I started really looking at, again, I started going back to the aesthetics of the game. I'm like, okay, why is my apartment kind of in limbo, like there's nothing around it, it's kind of floating in space. Mm. I said, 
maybe this whole wherever we are in in this in this fictional 1980s is some kind of purgatory or afterlife or hell you know this maybe this is like mm-hmm. maybe everybody here is a bad person like cuz i don't you don't run into any good people in the game <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Just a lot of bad people. Except for maybe that really helpful uh, store clerk. The store clerk. He's giving you free food he for some reason. Every oh, store that yeah. He's, he's, he's working all over the place. He's in the pizza place. He's in the video store. I, I didn't understand that part. I didn't understand. See, now, when I saw that part, uh-huh. I thought... All right, so this is the, so this is definitely I'm definitely part of some kind of organization where you know I go there and this is my hookup. He's mm-hmm. like they're yeah, like yeah. they're like comping me my meals. They're taking care of my entertainment. You know whatever I need. And that's just part of my pace, you know, my pay scale. Yeah, that's what I thought that meant. Yeah, me too. Um, but as far as the abstraction you mentioned, I mean, I just felt like, well, that's just part of the aesthetic of the game. It's just, it's just like a low resolution rendition of reality where it doesn't literally mean what you're looking at. It's just meant to sort of be, you know, just a framework. For, yeah, I couldn't for, help though because it was everything was so ghostly in the mm. game. Everything was so warped. And everything was so suspended in in space. I really couldn't get away from the you know the, and especially those moments in the game where reality is kind of cut short, and you're instantly teleported to the next day, or mm-hmm. you know you wake up in in your bathroom, and you're the girl that you rescued from the you know crack house is yeah. sleeping on the couch or whatever yeah. it's like wh- when did all this happen right you know? so so yeah so she so definitely that's like a strong part of the storytelling aspect of the game where you kind of get updates on on her as you proceed from one mission to the next right um, you know she's initially sleeping on the couch and then eventually you see her she moves into your bedroom, bedroom. basically yep. sleeping on you know on a guest bed you're not necessarily you know, you don't necessarily have a relationship with her. You don't know, yeah, uh, until maybe later in the in the game. Um, but you even see points where the apartment becomes better decorated because she's there and more cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a lot of times, you know, you might go to a pizza place and the you know inter- interlude before that. And the next day, you see empty pizza boxes in the kitchen. Right. Um, the subtlety know. of just the 16-bit graphics. And, mm-hmm. and they're almost oh, yeah, static. Re- like Pizza boxes rendered with as few pixels as possible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course. It's, uh, it's quite effective, though. It certainly you know, makes, a, makes a difference in, in, in where the game is kind of taking you. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you can tell they're trying to tell a story by, by paying attention to detail in that in that much detail that that's when I said to myself, all right, this is, they're doing this on purpose, yeah. and I know there's a reason for this. And they allow you to linger in that space as long as you want. There's not much you can do, but they let you walk around and did be we, able to take that all in. I was going to say, did you walk around and just tap your button everywhere to see? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Tried to interact with, like, the TV yeah, set. Yeah, yeah. Like, can I can I touch the TV set? Can I, uh, you just know, flush the toilet? Eventually, one of those stages, I would find, like, something that would interact with, but... Yeah, happens. it's not a real video game if you can't flush the sim- the toilet. Yeah. if you can't go into the bathroom. Wait, did it? Did it do that? No, no, I didn't think no. so. Okay. <laughs> Maybe only in FPS games you can do that. In the well, in the the actual combat zones, when you're in like you're actually doing combat, that's when you can interact with the environment. But yeah. in your house, for some reason, you never can. Right, you can't kick the doors open in your house. Like, hmm. Mm. Um. So I think I guess a lot of the fan base has taken to calling the main character Jacket. Yep. 
I guess. In uh, I guess he like wears a, a varsity jacket, and so that's kind of the that's his identifier. That's that's the yeah right. That's the visual cue of who you're actually playing because you do wear different masks anyway, so you don't always look the same. Um, so I, I mean, I yeah. Guess why we- didn't they call him Masky or, <laughs> or Mask Dude or or Animal Mask? They, they picked the jacket. You would think that's a well, maybe maybe because as, as an alternate character has a different form of wardrobe in the game. There's that. <laughs> so perhaps that's the that's the clue. Um, but I guess there is a kind of a key moment in the game though, where you kind of you know you go on a mission, and there was one aspect of the mission where you kind of climb outside the building to um, you know when you once you go up to, mm. to the second floor, you pass a room where a janitor kind of gives you this weird sideways glance. Yeah. And that's it. You don't you don't really get to interact with him at that point. But it's a great cinematic moment. It it's is. the kind of thing that would happen in an '80s movie, as like Sylvester Stallone like mm-hmm. creep by a window, and there would be a janitor that would give him a sideways glance. You know, like they they nailed that moment. Uh huh. Um, but you know, it's the funny thing is though, you do the mission, and then you get a weird phone call while you're there. And, you know, obviously somebody knew you were going to be there to place that call at, right at that moment. Um, and then you're told there's a change of plans, and you're given, like, a new location to head to. And when you get there, there's bodies everywhere, <laughs> you know, unlike your other missions. There's no music. You take the elevator up, and you see that there's somebody working at a computer. And, um, you know, the music begins at that point, and then you start, like, sort of a, an exchange with that person, known as Helmet. Simply right. Um, first of all, this is this is your first like almost what seems like a boss encounter in the game. You have um, you have an enemy who's got like a very particular attack pattern, and you have to almost kind of figure out how to take this guy on. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It took me a while actually. It took me a few moments to realize what he was doing because there's a golf bag there, and I thought, well, all right, that's obviously my weapon. And I picked that up, and every time I go at him, he cuts me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very um, join the Nintendo Fun Club today kind of moment like you know it's it's it harkens back to those classic 16-bit boss encounters where there's a key to it you mm-hmm. know it's it's you know it's not just dodge a few bullets take a few take a little damage attack 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 hit the button as fast as you can it's definitely a patterned thing that you have to figure out um, and, and you're right this is the first the first time that you're really thrown into combat with what I would call your equal in the game. All the other mobsters, I mean, the game is one hit kill. You're you're going to drop if you get shot with a shotgun. You're going to drop if you, a dog bites you. But this guy moves more like you. Um, you know, I'd say acts more like you do than the mobsters, you know, which are a little bit more robotic. They're a little bit more immediately come at you. Mm. You know, to their detriment, they'll, you know, run at you while you're blazing at them with a machine gun. This guy, Helmet's a little smarter. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and you know, speaking of the enemy AI, I mean, it, it, it seems a little, I mean, rather one-dimensional in the game overall. Um, enemies don't seem phased by bodies on the floor already. <laughs> yeah. They don't really seem phased that they've already been attacked and you've disarmed them. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're out of sight long enough, they kind of forget about it. And well, it was the 80s. Everyone was doing coke. That was, that's <laughs> it. They're all coked up. That could be the explanation they there. Just all, they all feel invincible. Yeah, I mean... Um, I, I had a problem with a little bit of the AI because I felt like 
it, a little bit was a little random where sometimes I found myself rushing into a room mm. and I could be right behind a guy, an enemy, and he wouldn't even realize I was there. And I could just punch him a flurry of punches. And there were times where a guy would be off the screen and for some reason he would see me and just like run towards me and start shooting or something. And I'm, it felt like like I couldn't I couldn't pinpoint how the AI worked. Like I tried to figure it out. And it didn't help that the boards are randomized on top of that, so you're never, like, doing the same... You just restart a level, those guys may not always be in exactly the same spot when you restart. Right, and they'll have different weapons. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think... Yeah, that's definitely... I don't know if I'd call that, like, a strike against the game, or it's an intentional choice by the developers... Or what? I mean, I don't really know, but it's it's definitely a sticking point for a lot of people. And, you know, I've found myself frustrated by those mechanics, too. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the game, you have one life, basically. So you have to do the yeah. whole level in one life, and you, there's really no room for error. So one hit, and you're dead. Right. So you can get through the whole level, and you can get to this one point where, you, you know, you smash a door open to kill someone. And you might not know there was an enemy off screen who spotted you when you were doing that and can rush out and kill you right, when right. You're, you know, while you're attacking someone else. So some of those things I felt were just made the game a little bit frustrating. But I, also, but I guess that's part of the game. Yeah, but I also think it also had a satisfying element to actually clearing a room where it was like, damn it, I know I can do this. I've, you know, mm-hmm. I've been killed 25 times going <laughs> through this door. But I know in my heart that I am capable of clearing out this level. Like, yeah. And yeah. when it happens, it's so satisfying. When you hear that record scratch sound effect when you've cleared yes. the whole yeah. room, that's such that's like music to your ears once you're deep into the mm. Hotline Miami universe. So, so you actually revel in, the, in hearing that sound because you've gotten that payoff for clearing the level successfully. Yeah. Um, Pavlo- it's Pavlovian after a while, like... <laughs> It's and it's and I think it's it's interesting because that's a that's a little two sided coin there because um, I, I guess at that point you know the, like you said the soundtrack cuts out and now you just have this sort of hollow drone going on yeah and that's when you're able to exit the level you have to like retrace your steps that you just took and you get to sort of take in the carnage that you've <laughs> left behind in your wake oh sure um, so that's almost you know I mean even even early in the game I think maybe the first or second mission. Um, your character, after he completes his mission, you see him like kind of fall to his knees and like hurl at one point, you know, sort of as if to say like he's sort of, you know, he's feeling the impact of his actions. Yeah, it's and, not bad pizza. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so following that mission that we talked about, um, where you encounter the hel- the mysterious helmeted man, once you figure out the key to getting out of that situation. Um, you you're en- you end up in another mysterious mysterious meeting. Let's not skip over the fact that you kill Helmet. You you <laughs> mm-hmm. brutalize him with his own weapon. You you it's there's he's, he's no definitely... question that he's dead when right. you're done with him. You know he's like every other enemy that you take out. He's violently ended. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, absolutely, and that's and that's also not the last you see of him. <laughs> exactly, which is why it's important to mention that you absolutely do kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're told in the, in this meeting that you know someone you know is not who you think he is, and something will soon be taken from you. And you're given a specific date, July the twenty first. You will wake up in a bigger house. Um, so. You know, that almost starts me thinking, oh, great, I'm going to be successful. I'm moving up in the world. I'm going to end up in a bigger house. (laughs) 
you know. Um, but things do take a turn for the weird at that point, uh, right? Because, you know, after the next mission, you sort of start seeing bodies in the stores that you start visiting. Yeah. These stores that you go to that you used to... That guy used to hook you up and... Yeah. Mm-hmm. That guy's no longer there. He's been replaced by um, a bald man who has got a bit more attitude. Um, you know, and then... At the same time, well, actually, that doesn't happen quite yet because you do see that clerk for one last time during that mission. He tells you that all of this is not really happening, right? That's the moment where you're sort of told whatever you think is going on, it's not. It's yeah, not when, the, when the narrative of the story tells you that it's not real, then what are you supposed to? How how do you? What do you accept as reality? Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is that what you mentioned before about the video effect in the game. It gets even stronger in oh, this yeah. scene yeah. because there's like this tracking like, right I mean there's, there's weird grit glitches and it looks almost like you're being observed through like a video camera maybe or like a closed circuit TV of some kind um, you know the scene resets and replays itself <laughs> so it's almost like well wait a minute have I been under observation all this time are my my bosses or my overlords keeping an eye on me while I'm performing all these heinous acts I mean what's going on or is this just, you know, the security camera in the store that's just kind of, you know, that's just kind of the viewer's viewpoint for this particular scene? Were you expecting in that moment for it to, like, cut out and then, like, when it comes back, it was Eternal Darkness for the GameCube? <laughs> <laughs> with, like, one of those psychosis effects? That's another, like, it's another game that messes with you, yeah. right? That uh, makes you question reality. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's, you know, and so the following me- uh, mission after that is when the new clerk shows up. And uh, I guess, you know, this time you've got, um, you know, uh, he's asking you, like, he's got a lot more attitude. He's asking you, like, what are you looking at? And, you know, what are you doing here? This place is for VIPs only. He doesn't give you the free stuff anymore. (laughs) Right. No pizza. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, there's also, like, some change up in the gameplay, too. Um, I think there's another mission where you start to exit the building, and then there's, suddenly there's a car crashing, comes crashing through the door. Uh, through the through the front of the the building, and then you're sort of um, it's almost like another mini boss encounter. And then is that is that before or after the level where you're ambushed by cops? Oh, the SWAT team. The SWAT team. Um, yeah, that's the, actually the mission right before that. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, yeah, you can tell that they're starting to to actively stack the deck against you. They're mm-hmm. they're sending you on what are probably supposed to be suicide missions or something. Uh, at that point, um, and yeah, again, it's you know, at that point, I was just along for the ride. I was like, mm. let's see where this goes. <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's it's punishingly difficult. It's uh, it's bending reality. Um, I, I I don't know what to think. And unfortunately for me, at that point, I, I was that far into the game, and I don't want to derail, you know. Our discussion, but I had missed like ninety percent of the secret letters at that point too. Right. So, well, we might as well discuss what that is. Um, I mean, there's an aspect to the game that's that you know. I mean, actually, I even saw it during while I was playing. I, I like every time you would hit the the pause yeah, menu, the pause, pause button. button. Yeah. You know, on, on the menu that comes up, you see like a, an entry that says puzzle. Right. And you're wondering, like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> where do I get where do I get puzzle pieces? Yeah. I, th- I thought maybe it's something that I'll get at the end of the game, like when That's when I'm thought. done with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, but it turns out there's there's um, a set of puzzle pieces that you can collect on on you know various levels of the game. Um, right. That once you you know it's kind of like a Scrabble type of puzzle. It's a, yes. it's a letter that you get that you have to arrange in a certain order to reveal a message. Um, and uh, we'll we'll come back to that. We'll we'll talk about what that what impact that has. Um, but actually. This is, you know, the point in the game too, where, you know, you you have you have that fateful meeting <laughs> in your own apartment when you go back to your apartment. You escape you escape that scene with the uh, car crashing through, yep. and then you end up back home, and um, you know, a chicken masked man who is you know looking very similar to how you looked at the beginning of the game tells you that you know you'll soon be alone, and uh, what you do next doesn't matter, and you'll never see the whole picture. And, um, you know, why don't you go to the warm bed across the hall and get some rest, basically. <laughs> um, so you do that part, right? And you end up in what looks like a hospital room, like adjacent to your actual apartment. And at that point, you know, you see your your head coming off at that point, right? <laughs> your head is exploding or something yeah. to that effect. Um, and you know the next mission or the next chapter in your in the game is called trauma, and you wonder what what happens at that point. You know, like how did how did you end up in this place, and what does it even mean? Um, so you, you're 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 given another sort of short cutscene where a doctor is talking to a cop, and you know they say that you've been in a coma for weeks, and and so on, and you're a suspect, and. And that's the other thing is, like in that previous scene with the chicken-headed man, you come home and you, you go into the bathroom and you see the girl that you've that has been staying with you on the floor in the bathroom. Yep. Um, presumably. I think she was dead, right? Presumably dead. Yeah. yeah. It, it looked, it, you know, I, I think I looked really close at it and it looked like some kind of murder slash suicide thing. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't. It didn't look pretty, you know, and it looked pretty final, whatever it was. Right. Yeah, and the odd thing is, you know, you, you you eventually come to and you get control of your character again, but now your character looks a little different, right? Your character now has gray hair, for one thing, um, and you have to, you're trying to get out of the, the hospital room that you find yourself in, and you're fighting, you know, bouts of dizziness and nausea while that's happening as well. So, I thought this, this whole scene was pretty well done. Yeah, it's it's really impressive what they can... You know, um, the 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 aspects of of sickness that they can portray through the, the just like sixteen bit. I think another game that did it well um, was the first Max Payne. Mm. It had a, had a few hospital sequences that were similarly like made you feel like you were controlling somebody that was under. The influence of both mental and physical trauma, mm-hmm. and and this did it, you know, in a little bit more analog way. But uh, you know, I think it did it well. Mm. So, any any theories then of what that scene really signifies, or uh, you know, what? How does this frame the game for you going forward from this point? I don't know, like what Frankie said, at this point I'm just along for the ride because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, any theories I had before kind of got thrown out the window. And I'm just like I don't. It'll, I kept saying to myself. I guess at some point they'll explain all this stuff. So, yeah, I don't remember in the moment what I was thinking of that scene. I think I was like, kind of viscerally playing through the game at that point. Like, yeah. and, you know, things were moving. Um, I think I may have said to myself, if I if I try and think back, it's like, 
I may have said, like, is this, you know, flashing forward a, mm. a tremendous amount of time, and is he reliving the trauma of what he did in his youth? Are we no longer in the 80s? Like, I don't know. Mm. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't 100% clear, but at that point I was just letting the story unfold. Yeah, I think, well, I think initially I thought... This is some kind of sci-fi story. Maybe this guy's not. Maybe this guy's a clone. Maybe there's army. There's like, you know, many versions of him yeah. that are sent out on different missions. You know, maybe every time you fail at a mission, you know, maybe time is rewinding in some way. I mean, if you really want to try to drill into, you know, metaphysically what's going on. Sure. Um, but I think I think on my second playthrough is when it kind of was more clear to me, just having had the full picture. I think at that point, basically, when he wakes up is when the game starts occurring in the present. Like, everything that had happened before that point was happening in the past. It was his recollection of what he had done. Right. And then from that moment forward is just sort of him coming out of a coma or whatever and then thinking about what had happened and then choosing to act on it. So from that point forward was the present day and then everything else was, like, a long time before that, you know? Sure. Which... I guess that's how time works. <laughs> Things flow forward from the present, but um, but yeah, I think I think it's recollection, really, more than anything, more than literal living through those moments. Right. No, uh, I think that's that's pretty spot on. Um, I mean, I think things are kind of vague enough that you still have to kind of project what what it all means because when you do finally escape from the hospital, first of all, you go back to your apartment. There's still police tape and like a chalk outline in the bathroom and that kind of stuff. Um, your car's been defaced, like this graffiti on it now. So the apartment was kind of ransacked, also, right? It looked like it had been in a state of of lockdown for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, and when you go back into the bathroom, there's some kind of object on the sink. I don't really know what it is. Maybe it's a mask. Maybe not. I couldn't really tell. It was like too low res for me to really determine what I was looking at. There was an action button there, and then as soon as you initiate that action, the gray hair changes back to black hair. So your character is now kind of young again. It's almost like, yeah, he's physically aged at that moment, but now he's sort of able to take on his abilities of the past. Well, sure. It's like, you know, they say Bruce Wayne sees himself as Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, so when when you pick up the mask, which is uh, his spirit animal... You know, he he reverts back to his old self. He's mm-hmm. his mind is clear again. You know, there's there's. I mean, if these masks are really giving Jacket powers, who's not? You know, who's to say that they they don't have some kind of mystical properties in them? You know, we we only know what the game tells us, and mm. the game tells us that that. If you put on a horse mask, you suddenly have the ability to kick down doors and kill people, you know, with the with the force of those doors. Or if you put on a lizard mask, you have the ability to see further, mm-hmm. you know, whichever the owl mask, the ability to see the the hidden letters easier. Right. Uh, so that was what I that, that was the mask I used for my second playthrough. Obviously, the owl, yeah. owl? The owl mask. <laughs> yeah, it it'll, it's allows you to see the letters. Just ever so slightly better. Not it's a little purple glow around. Yeah, them. like one pixel mm-hmm. worth of glow. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think we've I think we've seen in fiction. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now. But 
instances of characters in fiction who are decrepit and like the, the Baron Munchausen mm. uh, is probably the, the one that comes to mind where he's he's useless and old because nobody believes in him but then as soon as you know people can say his name and and speak of him in in popular you know uh, in, in, a, in a positive way suddenly he's young again right you know this is kind of a Munchausen thing yeah I mean and you know obviously you mentioned Batman this is kind of at the core of the, the superhero archetype sure. you know of, you know the mask kind of defines the identity in a lot of ways um, so that's Definitely a big part of the theme of the of the game. Um, I think during the conversation in the hospital, you overhear the cop saying that you know we we know who killed the girlfriend. We've got him in custody. Um, so I think from that clue that leads into your next mission, uh, which is called assault. This is which is where you you decide to pay a visit to the precinct where this man is presumably um, being held in a cell. Um, <coughs> And, you know, I guess even the title, perhaps that's a callback to Assault on Precinct 13. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, there's... I, I pro- I, there's probably callbacks to movies, and, mm-hmm. you know, or different things throughout the, the course of the, each level as a title. And I'm sure there's more that we're probably, yeah. you know, missing or not privy to. Right. So, I mean, this is, a fir- this is another instance where you, you sort of um, are up against, not criminals, but police officers in this situation... Um, which almost make, makes you think. Well, maybe maybe these are maybe these cops are crooked. Maybe they're maybe they're in on this whole conspiracy. Who knows what's going on, really? Um, you know, those things did kind of occur to me because I, I, you know, I think during the SWAT team uh, lockdown, any SWAT team members you run into, you can't actually kill them at that point. All you can do is knock them down, right. and they kind of uh, will get back up if you linger too long. Um, so it seemed like during that phase of the game, you weren't actively trying to kill law enforcement people, but at this part of the game you, you suddenly can. So perhaps you've got more motivation to do so at this point. Yeah. And also when the SWAT team storms that building, I think the game designers want you to be in a state of like helplessness. Mm-hmm. They don't want you to be able to clear out the SWAT team. They want you to have to you know panic at right. that point. Yeah, yeah, you're just trying to get out of there in one piece. Um, you do eventually get to the man... In the cell, he's the bald man that you've been seeing at the store counters. Yep. And uh, he says he's sorry for the girl, but you're going to be disappointed. He doesn't have any answers for you. Um, He asks you at that point, have you been getting weird phone calls too? (laughs) You know? Um, But there might be, he alludes to the idea that there might be a case file nearby where maybe you might get uh, more more information about what you're looking for. and, of course, you don't waste any time in, in killing him at that point as well. Um, does the game, I, I can't recall. Does the game give you an option to walk away from him and not kill him? Uh, I tried it uh, during I my I second. I too. Yeah. yeah. And you, you know, have to kill him to proceed. Yeah. You weren't able to not okay. do that. Yeah. yeah um, you can leave the room if you don't. Right. He, he, he just stands there, though. He doesn't, like, try to fight back or anything. Right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these characters do seem resigned to their fate by the time you get to them. Yeah. Well, there is a, there is an instance in the game where you are given a, an option. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I think after that, you're back in your apartment. You you see, like, these supposed case files on the floor. You're kind of trying to piece things together. And, um, you know, there's little snippets. There's just little, like, kind of sentence fragments there 
you know, suspects instructed to kill by message, um, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, this gets traced back to a club, which ties to an underground mafia, Russian mafia network. Um, it's always those underground <laughs> Russian mafias. Yeah, and uh, you know, of course, you're gonna you're gonna pay this club a visit next, and uh, as as the commercial said, opulence they has it. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's even like. I think they even have like a monster truck on the like one of the levels in the club. Yeah, <laughs> but they don't have they don't have tiny giraffes. No. <laughs> uh, you get to the boss at that point. Uh, he you know offers you money and whatever else. He says he's not the owner, but you know he does give you the address for the owner. Um, and then you, I guess another, this is another point where you don't have the option to walk away. You, you pretty much do have to put him to his end as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you wouldn't be a good. Hitman slash vigilante slash psychotic killer. <laughs> right. If you didn't put everybody away. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if for nothing else, just for the, just for the girl, at least. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the girl who was murdered in your apartment yeah. that you were tasked. You, to you sort played of Super protect. Nintendo with her and <laughs> ate pizza. <laughs> uh, well, no, yeah, and and I guess to some degree, maybe even you know the people that you were sort of seemingly coerced into dispatching as well. Sure. Um, so after that, after all of this, though, you're you've got the final what looks like the final mission, which gets titled Showdown, and um, you pretty much get to the big what looks like the big boss's lair, right? Uh, typical thing. Some guy says, "Oh, you must be the one killing all my men," <laughs> you know. Um, and for some reason, he's got like panthers and a <laughs> lady ninja assassin in the room with him. <laughs> Classic 80s. <laughs> because, <laughs> yes. Because because 80s, because video games, because movies. Uh-huh. And, and I gotta say, the, the fight in this room was also probably one of the most frustrating things yes. to happen in this game. I had to really analyze what was going on I, to I make any it. kind of... I, I looked on Game Facts. <laughs> I was like, I can't figure this out. <laughs> it was uh, really weird. I mean, you had to stand to one side. There was like this trophy, this weird trophy-like yeah. weapon on mm-hmm. the side. And you had to use... Uh, you couldn't just use your normal weapons. You no. had to... There was a certain... No, and, and I think it's a credit to the designers that, you know, they could have just allowed you to go in with Uzis and mm-hmm. do what you do, but, you know, it's... There's, there's something... There's something special about game designers that that will take the time to build something into an environment that's interactive or special. Um memorable, you know, about a fight sequence like that. And, you know, it also has a little bit of that classic 8 and 16-bit, like, you have to figure it out almost by chance or Mm -hmm. through egregious trial and error. Mm. Um, Well, you're used to the whole game just walking into a room, you know, like you said, with the Uzi's blowing away, and that's it. And now you're up to a scene where you get into this room, and that's not working anymore. Right. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it took several chances. I mean, several meaning, I don't know, probably at least half an hour's yeah. worth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was getting to a point, uh, both in this challenge and some of the earlier levels, mm-hmm. in, in just the basic firefights, where I was starting to count in my head, like, 15, 20, 30, 40. Yeah. I'm on 50. Do I stop after 50? Do I save and just, like, put it down? 
I was um, I, 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 the second playthrough though I found much easier I mean sure. once I knew what I had to do I like messed up the first time but then I, yeah. I, I got it right away well, there's nuances to the game too mm-hmm. and, and you unlock masks and weapons that that are helpful right um, so obviously right after that encounter you know the real boss calls at that point and says, hey, what's all that noise going on down there? You know, what's all that racket? Yeah, the real... Uh, <laughs> the next real boss, yep. you could say. Um, so obviously you go upstairs, you pay him a visit, and you see a man in a wheelchair, and he's, like, again, resigned to... He you know, pretty much tells you, like, go ahead, do your business, do what yep. you gotta do. You know, you... Um, in classic 80s action movie fashion, you... Put him out of his misery if he was miserable. Wasn't he like working on a computer or something like a computer hacker like, kind of guy? Uh, no, this was like kind of an old man in a wheelchair. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like uh, the very end where you know you sort of uh, go out for a smoke after you're mm-hmm. done with your business, right? And, right, right. And then the yeah. credits roll. Okay. Yeah, and you take like a photo and of mm-hmm. the girl and throw it off the roof or <laughs> <Right>. something <laughs> sentimental, something that every sentimental killer does uh-huh. at the end of a movie where. You know, he leaves a body count of 300, 400 people <laughs> in his wake. Uh, so, I mean, at that point, you think the game is done, right? Mm-hmm. Except, you know... We certainly physically feel like yeah. I'm done at that point. Right. Um, but it turns out there's um, another part that's that comes up that starts uh, called Answers. This is after, like, some of the credits roll, right, isn't it? Full credit roll okay. is yeah. done at that point. Uh, you can interrupt the credits if you like. It'll go on to the next part. Um, and, you know, you're you're sort of greeted to... You know, the next scene uh, is basically the helmeted man that you encountered at the phone company earlier. Yes. And The one that you killed. Yeah. yeah. I will reiterate that you killed him, mm-hmm. and here we are. <laughs> and now you're in full control of him. Uh, he's interrogating a man in a Chinese restaurant, asking who the people leaving the messages are. Uh, and he says, you know, uh, he's not responsible, but he did kind of help them out. He helped rig up the system at the phone company to uh, hide the phone calls that are being made. Um, and he says there might be a political agenda at work here. He's not sure. Well, one key thing about this character is he can't wield the weapons mm. like the your normal other character had. Right, right. So there's a different play mechanic now. Yeah, he's got kind of his own signature weapon yep. that he uses. Meat Cleaver. <laughs> yeah. Could have easily have been his name, too. Yeah. Cleaver. Uh-huh. Cleavage. <laughs> uh, and he's also got throwing knives. He's also got a stash of three throwing knives that he can use. Um, which are pretty effective. I mean, it's not... Uh, to be honest, it's a little better than, than, than the guns, because the guns in the game bring a lot of unwanted attention. Um, yes. So I'm trying to get. So for the most part, I played the game, you know, trying to be the silent assassin where possible. Yeah, I found, you know, the edge weapons and the blunt weapons and throw. Like once I mastered throwing things across the room, yes. right? And and the know, target lock. Yeah, target lock, throw, run up, curb stomp. Yeah, that was that became you know my methodology. And I found that the blunt weapons were also, if you mastered the timing on the dogs. It was great mm-hmm. for, you know, just they see him running, boom, just take him out with one hit. Uh, right. And even the doors. Yeah. You know, the doors knock down enemies. So if you've yes. got two enemies in a room, you want to you wanna disable one of them with the door while you dispatch the other one, and then you go back for the first guy. Yeah, there's, you know, 
countless number of strategies you can use. You can integrate masks into those strategies. You can integrate the environments into the strategies of how you take down the enemies. And mm-hmm. and the game doesn't really punish you for taking your time to think through, like like look at the environment. You know, there's no there's no running timer that's gonna. You know, well, I mean, you, you're graded, so yes, there is a running timer mm-hmm. that's going to affect your your overall <laughs> grade, but um, you're not going to die. You know, it's not going to count down to zero and just mm-hmm. time out and kill you. Yeah, and um, the interesting thing is that now, you, now that you've got a, a new character to control, you, you are sort of given the same sort of framework. You do see him back at his apartment after that. Yep. But it's a very different looking apartment compared to. Um, Jackets. You know, what Jacket had. The Jacket looked like a very bare bones existence. You didn't really know what the circumstances of his life were, other than what he was you know, doing for a living. Yeah. Um, but this place looked, you know, a little more upscale. Looked a little better kept. A little more decorated. Um, certainly, I noticed a few things. He had a little guitar in his bedroom <laughs> on the on the floor. He had a nice little uh, home computer set up. Yeah. He rides a motorcycle and yeah. not a DeLorean. That's right. Yeah. He's got the Marty McFly puffy jacket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's actually funny because the the graphics on his computer setup at home, you know, it's it, again from that top down perspective that the whole game is kind of takes place in. Um, it almost looks like a little Atari symbol over his monitor. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if that was intentional or not. Yeah, I mean they're clo- they're like like they're alluding to a Super Nintendo they're alluding mm-hmm. to an Atari computer it's I mean it's uh, they you know they're not the exact things but they're close enough right. that they should harken back to anybody who lived through that era and knows what those things look like mm-hmm. they're iconic enough in their in their design right um, and it wouldn't be the 80s without you know throwing an Atari logo in there somewhere yeah <laughs> that, that definitely seals the time period if Blade Runner can do it and yeah, certainly. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, they have license to do so. Um, but, you know, you, you, you do get another mission. Uh, it's kind of like in an arcade. Uh, more, more, you know, phone messages are kind of leading you there. You, you're told, you know, um, you know, that you, you, know, you want to, like somebody's asking you out on a date and, you know, be sure to dress for the occasion kind of a thing. Um, more of that double speak that you get from, from the previous messages. Um, but eventually, you do get a uh, you do get the mission back at the phone company that you replayed um, earlier as Jacket, um, and this is you know from obviously the helmet perspective. Right. Uh, this time when you enter the building, everyone's still alive. Everyone is kind of alarmed at your presence and is kind of backing away from you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you don't have to kill them if you don't want to. You can, but um, this is a point where you know you sort of. It's almost like a, a, you're given a different psychological profile on the character you're playing, you know. Where this this person seems to be like, for example, he didn't he didn't kill the Chinese restaurant owner who gave you the information in the mission earlier, and he also doesn't have to do anything to harm the employees at the phone company. Um, but you do work your way to the computer that you were at, that you saw the character at earlier. Yep. And as he's walking, as he's working away at the computer. It's a, basically a replay of the previous scene, except from a different perspective. And Jacket enters the scene. And you win! <laughs> and this time... And this time, Helmet kills Jacket. Mm. So, again, 
we rocket back to that midway point of the game in our first run through, or our, you know what is still our first run through, but mm-hmm. um, that halfway point where now there is a divergence in reality, mm-hmm. right? What's the truth here? And it's like, have you seen the movie Run Lola Run? <laughs> yes. Three stories told from three different perspectives, and none of them match up. Like, that's, like, kind of sort of what this mm-hmm. is doing here, where, I mean, this this is coming to a vertex where there's a... Two people are dying. Like, it's... <laughs> so, again, it's it's the game completely f***ing with you. And, and I, I like it. I, I, it's a good way to say it. Yeah. It's, um... It certainly makes you wonder what what the truth in the game actually is. I mean, right. if, if you haven't already had that thought up to this point, and I hate to spoil anything as as if we haven't spoiled everything in the game at this point, but there's there's no answers. There's the, there's no never a, a full explanation of why mm. in one storyline you kill helmet and in one storyline helmet kills jacket it, it we're never it's never explained to us if this is some some warp bubble in time where reality you know enters mm-hmm. through one end and comes out different in the other uh, it's definitely one of those situations where you know the writers or the artist leaves it up to the viewer or the well, you know I, I was going to actually ask you cuz you played it a little bit when it first came out mm-hmm. Was the epilogue section as you when you play with the the, the second character, was that like um, added on to the game later on, or that was part of the initial? At least not for the console release. Okay. I don't mm-hmm. believe so. I think, and I believe it was complete when it was released on Steam or mm-hmm. whatever the original PC. Uh, this wasn't like a DLC. Okay. This wasn't something that anybody had to wait for. Um, Denaton, you know, had it all worked out. Now. As far as the the phone company goes, let's go back to the puzzle because this is where it's crucial. Right. Well, the, so the first time we play, I played. I don't know about you. I mean, obviously, I think you said, also said that you didn't you didn't get the right. No, ending. I had to replay a lot of it to get the puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. I I had essentially stopped at the uh, credit roll the first time because I had realized that I really shouldn't go any farther forward because I wasn't going to get the real ending. So mm. I haven't actually seen the... I mean, I've I've read online what it is, mm-hmm. but I haven't actually seen the um, the two characters that, that we reach in the end right. at the phone company give the, uh, the bad explanation. Right, well, I've, so... I've only seen the puzzle from From the phone company, you're giving you're given another... Another address to go to, right? And you go to some ad to a new location uh, where you see that weird janitor again. Yes, the one that the sideways glance gave yeah. you that weird look. He was even in your apartment building at one point. Mm-hmm. Yes, you yes, know, he as was. you're leaving like in the stairwell. Yeah. So you know, you start even even from there, you start to wonder who is this guy. Um, but he spots you as you're coming in, and he ducks into a closet, and then you go after in after him, and uh, you see a computer. You know, on, on a desk, um, and you also see like a manhole nearby, or yeah. like a service card or something yeah. like that. Um, and basically, you, you go to use the computer, and um, you know, it basically says you need a password to continue using the computer. And you say, "All right, well, that's all I can do here." 
Um, but then you drop down the manhole and you f- you find two the two men you see you know one of them being the janitor looking dude and then another man with him. Yeah. Um, Fun fact: If you don't have this in your notes already, mm-hmm. do you? Uh, go on. <laughs> <laughs> those two gentlemen uh-huh. are the developers of the game. Th- uh-huh. Those are the st- those are basically caricatures of the the Denaton of the Denaton uh, team. Yes, programmers. The program yes. the, the team of two. Yes. Um. Well, it's funny because yeah, I mean, I guess they in 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 this sense they sort of almost directly talk to you, the player. Yeah. In the things that they ask you or say to you. Um, this is where that you've we've peeled back the layers of the onion now mm-hmm. at this point to the fact that we're speaking to the people who created the game. Right, right, and and you ask them what's going on, and they kind of mock you for not knowing what's going on. They tell you how dumb you are, and they challenge you to guess, and that's. I mean, that's basically what you get when you approach them without having completed the puzzle. Right. You know, basically, they just, you know, they just tell you, you know, like, they just kind of brush you off. They laugh at you saying, you know, you're just a pawn, and uh, you'll never know anything. And then it kind of leaves from there. But if you do finish the puzzle, you get the password for the computer before you go into the manhole, and you're able to uh, unlock what, you know, uh, some, some information, perhaps. Um... And do you remember the puzzle? The puzzle, the puzzle word? itself is born in the USA. I was born in the USA. <laughs> I was born in the USA. Yeah. Uh, I have to believe that's a reference to Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> very, very likely. Um, yeah, I mean, so that's that's the password that you enter, and then when you, uh, you know, when you confront them with that information at hand. Uh, your your character basically accuses them of being radical nationalists. Right. Um, that's the information that you that get from the computer. the computer. And uh, you know they're they're basically threatening people into doing their dirty work for them. Um, and they basically say they justify it by saying you know we're patriots and you know this is uh, this is just you know in the interests of the of the country and you know this is an experiment you know this is but but we're just the tip of the iceberg we're right. setting up operations all over the country now i didn't research this and I, I for some reason i recall that is this related to any popular conspiracy theories about something in the reagan uh white house era hmm. government where there there you know this type of telephone psychological manipulation mm-hmm. i mean like what would be the modern mm-hmm. equivalent of uh, you know the government is always watching you online and on your right. cell phone and on your xbox connect uh <laughs> that there was a, a kind of monitoring and and manipulation going on in in the reagan era via the telephone lines mm. it's I, I don't know the origin of it to be honest i mean they, um, it felt real. Even if it was something that they made up for this game, <laughs> uh-huh. it, it was familiar in a way that made me believe that it was a real conspiracy type thing that I had heard before. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know what the word for that is. Um, well, I mean, they, they name themselves 50 Blessings. Yeah. Uh, they, they explain that this is a foundation for patriots. And, uh, you know, members willingly fill out a form stating that, you know, they're, you know, they're. They will. They're willing to die for their country, and you know, and so on. Did Kojima write this game? <laughs> it, it certainly sounds like it, right? Um, the, the, the interesting moment, though, in, in their in their conversation, I think, in the telling line is that they explain that that people will do 
what they want them to do because they think there will be consequences if they don't. Because they tell them that there will be consequences. Well, right. I mean, but they just sort of threaten. They yeah. don't really spell it out in any specific detail, but... Yeah. I mean, but that's that's a very motivating thing mm-hmm. in life. We do, right. we do so many things because we feel that there will be consequences if we don't. Mm-hmm. You know, so... They're, they're taking it to an extreme, and uh, they're manipulating people to kill on their behalf right. for whatever reason, um, because they're afraid that there will be consequences. I I will die, or the people I love will die, right. if I don't go out and do these things. Um, and that's all. That's almost a, sort of a, a meta part of the game as well. That's also ties into the fact that these are the developers talking right to you, the player, yep. telling you that basically you're doing what we want you to do because we've created this game that you're taking an active role in. So basically, we in effect are in charge of you in in this way, in this kind of indirect way. <laughs> um, the the peculiar thing in this game in in this part of the the story though is is it said that their goal is to break the the Russian American coalition and I didn't know that there was one especially during that time yeah, hey so I think this part was particularly peculiar I thought <clears throat> but I guess um you know that's that's another thing we can get into is kind of like thematically what is this game really trying to say to us uh, as you know as far as violence in games and Things like that. I mean, do we think that that's... Are you, are you conscious of that when you're playing a particularly violent game? Do you say, wow, these are really deplorable acts, but it's fake, so I don't mind doing it? Um, what did you think, Stephanie? Uh, well, I didn't really... Like, I, I, I kind of felt... I never felt like... I felt like, like I was doing anything horrible. I don't know. Like, I mean, because the, the graphics were so like dated and pixely looking, mm-hmm. that to me, I never, I never felt like upset of killing all these random people and stuff. I felt, I felt like more of like the old style games where you don't worry about things like that. Like I do, like more in like the modern games, like Call of Duty or something. When you kill someone, it feels much realer because they look like real people. And the video game, you know, the time back. I don't know. I, I didn't really ever get that feeling for me. What about you? Um. Well, I think it's 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 interesting that you know, I mean, right from the start, you do empathize with the character to some degree because you see his reaction to doing the things he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I think at the point where you take over as Jacket, I think detaches me somewhat from it to a degree. I think by switching characters, it it kind of makes you the message. Helmet? Oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. When you're when you start off as right. Jacket and play the majority of the game as that character, and then you take over as Helmet, now you're no longer that guy that was in the beginning. Right. Now you're just. You're controlling a different person, and Helmet also seems to have a different kind of psychological makeup mm-hmm. than Jacket. Right. Um, I mean, and, and again, it's done. It, it's done with. I don't want to say broad strokes. It's done the opposite of that. I think it's done with such subtlety. But you could still pick up on it that he's not the same kind of person mm-hmm. as Jacket. Um, right. Yeah. Well, to me, I, I think again there was a lot of juxtaposition in the way that the developers of this game um, illustrated a picture of violence it was it was simultaneously I don't want to say comical it was it was uh, very um, rudimentary like a 16-bit video game Mm. but it was also obvious to me that they it was 
a commentary on ultraviolence in the same way that maybe Quentin Tarantino with a film like Django Unchained, mm. when Django is shooting the cowboys that are trying to kill him, and with a you know six gun revolver of you know that the turn of the century like cowboy is causing explosive blood spray uh-huh. like ridiculous amounts of blood coming out that look like you know they're being pumped by like a like a machine mm. out of these people is the same kind of effect that you're getting in this which so it's like it's so over the top in some areas you know sometimes you kill a character and it's like a, they just drop to the floor and maybe there's a little pool of blood but sometimes they explode like a bag of meat and right. it's like you know and it's it's not completely ridiculous, but it's it's over the top enough that it's like okay, they're they're this is a commentary on violence in video games to some degree. Mm. It's it's a I think it's it's a double edged kind of a thing because while they are comment, it, it's it's funny to make a commentary about violent games by making a very violent game mm-hmm. like in itself. I mean, that's the that's the core gameplay. I mean, even though they are telling a story. Right. There's really not much else you can do in the game itself. Right. So the whole reason you're playing the game is obviously because you enjoy some aspect of that type of gameplay. Sure. Um, and you know, I guess that's how they highlight it. They say they highlight it by saying by immersing you in that activity and then saying, "How does that make you feel?" Yeah. Yeah. You're you're a terrible person. Do you mm-hmm. do you enjoy hurting people? Uh, I believe is like the first line. Right. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean. You, we're we're pretty numb these days to you start committing horrible acts in the game really without question and right. without really knowing why you go you kind of go along with it because that's what you're supposed to do in the game and that's almost what the characters in the end are asking you they're asking you know they're saying, they're I mean you know during that conversation right. they they're basically saying people went along with this because they thought something bad would happen if they didn't right you know so that's almost you could almost put your, your, the player himself in that in that role. Yeah, it is, and we, you know, a good video game. I mean, the school of thought is that, I mean, especially all three of us, we we came up in in an era of of games like the Atari Twenty Six Hundred and ColecoVision and Commodore Sixty Four and Atari Eight Bit computers, where. We didn't really need the instruction manuals, right? Mm. A great game, a good game, a well-designed game. You should be able to pick up the joystick and know what to do by what the game is is feeding you. Uh, just the graphics on the screen mm-hmm. or the sound effects, and and Hotline Miami does a lot, a lot of that. And it also places you in a somewhat helpless position of the only thing I can do here is kill everybody and kill everybody in an incredibly violent way and. You know, we're, we've moved into an era where you can buy a game like Grand Theft Auto V and put it in your PlayStation 4 and spend hours doing nothing that's really violent, mm. but yet the goal of that game is to still create a lot of do a lot of violent acts. Sure. So this doesn't allow for a lot of autonomy. It's, you know, you if you want to see everything there is to see in Hotline Miami, you, you must be a horrible person. Mm. <laughs> And you don't, and and like so many great stories, me being a huge fan of Lost, 
you know, <laughs> we don't get all the answers. So they never explain the three guys in the room. With right. The on. The, all the all the things that we that that draw you in and make mm-hmm. you that hook you into the story, like who are these mis- this mystery council of masked people right. that are that are telling me that I'm a bad person and that I'm going to do A, B, and C and wake up here and you know have mm-hmm. these clothes on and people who I care about are no longer going to be around. Who are these people? And you, you never find out. Maybe we'll find out in the sequel. Maybe there's more story to tell. Um, Perhaps... Uh you know, when they told you you're going to wake up in a big house, that, that, I presume that meant the hospital. <laughs> yeah, or or the precinct or something, right? Or a jail, mm-hmm. or something like that. I got to go back and see if the dates line up. If yeah, I was going to say, are you playing as the same character in the new one? No, you're not. Okay. Um, from what I understand about the sequel, is that it takes place after the events of the first game. The events of the first game have become legendary in a circle of underground. Uh, uh, fans of of the events that happened. I guess they were, you know, publicized in popular media or the news or the internet. Hmm. And um, there's a movie being made about oh. about the, the the thing. And then, but then there's a a group of people that want to recreate the ultra violence. So they become masked vigilantes, similar to the first game. Yeah, it seems it certainly seems as complex as the first one. Um, you know, I don't I don't know much more about it beyond that, and I haven't watched that much of the developer no, info. I've been holding off. Right, I don't I don't want anything spoiled or yeah, ruined beyond what I know. It's only a few uh, weeks off. I, I gotta say that I'm looking forward to the second one, and. I, dual, no, wielding. I, dual wielding, dual wielding, dual wielding. <laughs> I did enjoy this game, but I don't think um, it's not high on my list. Like as much as I liked playing through it, it's I didn't really. I don't know if I'd go back to this game. I don't think I liked it as much as you both did. Mm. Um, and it was, there were parts in the game where I, I kind of didn't like it at all. I was like, this game's really annoying. I don't think I want to play this anymore. Just from a purely, I felt that way I, I mean, too. I, I, I only played it for too. two nights because um, I wanted to play the game for our podcast, and I try to play one game a week so we can talk about it. So this game I actually played like a month and a half ago, and um, we held off talking about it because you two both played it. But um, I don't remember liking it a whole lot, but I definitely could appreciate the, the work that went into it and the the, the multi-layers. Of, I just felt like I never really... I never had any attachment to that character at any point in the game where I felt like sad or happy or vindicated or anything like that. I never had that like attachment. I just felt like... I just want to get to the next level. I want to see what happens. I want to know what the story's about. And until the game ended, which is sometimes that's typical with indie games that are, you know, in the short length, you can only cram so mm-hmm. much into a short story. But um, I had some issues with some of the controls on um, the targeting system on the... I used the PlayStation 4 controller. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of issues getting used to that. I felt like it was a little wonky. Um, but, you know, I got through it, but I felt like that w- that took away from the gameplay. So you, you played on PS4. I did, yeah. And you probably I played primarily on Primarily PS3 and some Vita. Mm-hmm. I did the cross-save where I would... There were a few levels where I, I had cloud-saved, and it picks... It has an amazingly seamless mm-hmm. cloud-save system between the Vita and the PS3. If you're online, you save your progress. If you're online on your Vita, you could pick right up where you left That's off. Cool. You don't have to do any transferring of data between... Mm-hmm. The systems, um, and it's interesting. I, I'm a, I consider myself a fan of the game, and I, I enjoyed it. But all the criticisms that you laid out, I felt 
the exact same way. But I definitely don't think it's a bad game. I just, like, not everyone likes every game, and to me, right. I had fun playing through it, and I thought it was a good game. I just don't think it was... I, I was looking at some of the comments, like, on Steam and stuff, and they, people are saying this is, like, one of the top games of all time and all this stuff, and... I'm not seeing it personally. I think I think it's good. I just don't think it's as great as I thought it was hyped up to be. Maybe but. I think it's an important game of the past generation. I don't think. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'd put it in any top ten lists. I I enjoyed it viscerally. Like as I was playing it, I can't think of many other games uh, in that year um, mm-hmm. that were as punishing that I wanted to keep <laughs> keep at and and aggressively try to complete um and I I you know I, I love a lot of things about it that are you know just about the aesthetics the music the mm-hmm. graphics sure. the design um the play mechanics I I I feel that those were flawed they had you know issues that I hope that they resolve in the sequel and I'm sure that they will because it seems as if they've been They've been working pretty meticulously on it for a while, mm-hmm. and this is their opportunity to clean up some of those little things, like you were talking about with some of the randomness of the AI, or uh, you know the the other the targeting, the targeting system, systems yeah. and whatnot. They could, yeah, you know, I'm sure they could stand to improve those. But again, it, it's similar to things that I have enjoyed in the recent past, like. Lost, where there are, you know, or X Files, or any of those things where you're kind of promised answers within the narrative, mm. and you're never really given those answers because, let's be honest, the mystery is always the more compelling thing than the answers, and, and that is the reason why I think I played through it because um, I, you know, you start off saying, well, I'll just play like a level two, right. and then the level two becomes like six or seven levels because right. now you're like, I want to, like, what is this game? Like, you right. just want to keep playing to find out what's going on. You want the payoff. Yeah. I, I, I mean, my second playthrough, I, I very nearly finished it in one sitting. I mean, initially I was... I, I didn't even mean to play it all the way through a second time <laughs> until, you know, I said, wait a minute, there's these puzzle pieces that I never collected. Right. I, might, I might as well knock that out. And I found the second run-through much easier. Uh, hmm. just, just knowing what to get out of the game. Just, sure. You know, just knowing what to expect. Um, I was frustrated by the controls at first. I mean, I played it on PC, and and I used um, I didn't use like you know keyboard and mouse type controls. I just used a, an Xbox 360 controller, mm-hmm. um, and I found that very natural. I, I didn't see any reason to need to use any kind of other control scheme. But yeah, that the you know the, the targeting especially got a little strange for me until I kind of understood the mechanics of right. that. Uh, <clears throat> But if, I don't know. If I, anybody's going to be at PAX East, uh, which is next week, I will be in my Hotline Miami costume walking the show sweet. floor uh, on Saturday. I'm planning on wearing it on Saturday. Awesome. So if you see mm-hmm. Jacket with the chicken mask and a bloodied chrome baseball bat, that's me. <laughs> Come say hi. Excellent. We'll all be there. I will be there, yes. Mm-hmm. Any last thoughts on Hotline Miami? No. Um, definitely play it. Can't wait for the sequel. Okay, cool. All right, so uh, I want to thank everyone for listening, and I want to apologize for the extra ambient noises that you might hear. We are recording in the basement of the Digital Press store, home of the Digital Press podcast. And I want to thank again our friend Frankie for joining us, and 
uh, definitely uh, giving a lot of insight on this game. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. So definitely check out the Digital Press Podcast if uh, oh, that's, you yeah, don't that's already do so. Of mine. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Available uh, directly on the Digital Press website as well as YouTube. We have nine listeners. <laughs> we're, we're shooting for ten. I'm going to try to get you ten, yeah. <laughs> Double digits. Great. And uh, definitely join us on Facebook. Leave us any comments. If you've got thoughts on this game, if you've played it, uh, definitely give us your feedback on And uh, if you, if you do means. like this uh, new fo- this format of um, our episodes and when you want us to do more of these types, definitely let us know. But otherwise, we'll be back again next week, probably with some PAX coverage. And that's about it. And if you haven't played Hotline Miami, we've just ruined it for you. So yeah. don't bother. <laughs> Play the sequel. Yeah, yeah, just start with it. <laughs> Until next time. Okay, signing off.